And our thanks to Teresa. She is gifted in so many ways and shares with our fellowship. <clears throat> I just want to say this. Well, first, because I know we're recording now for the radio audience, but isn't this a great place to be this morning? Absolutely, it's a great place to be. Now, <clears throat> I just think you ought to know that if in the middle of the sermon the projectionist crashes, I will not stop. We will press on, all right? We will press on. And you're right, James, we never missed them. That choir is awesome. That was awesome. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. And then, as we move into the message, we'll go over to Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And the title of the message, uh, it has continued with this passage as I reviewed it Wednesday night in prayer meeting. And that is, the title of the message is The Gift of Peace. And it's very, very comforting, soothing, and helpful to me. And I just pray that it will be that also it will be for, for all of us in our desire and that need for peace. My voice is kind of cloudy this morning, <clears throat> but we can work with it. But let me lead us in a word of prayer. Almighty God, how wonderful it is to be here in this time of worship and celebration. This is the way church ought to be. People happy, people laughing, people celebrating one another, people glad to be together. Lord Jesus, here, here to worship you. And I pray now in this word that it will be a word that moves us forward, maybe to the next level in our walk with you. May someone, as a result of this word, invite you into their life. Forgive us of our sins in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 25, Jesus is beginning to prepare the disciples for his departure, for the crucifixion and for his departure. And he says to them, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. Anyone that has difficulty accepting the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God needs to know that we don't have it from human hands and hearts and minds. It has come to us from the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's how we got the Bible. The Holy Spirit teaches us and, re, and reminds us of all things that Jesus taught. Now verse 27 is our key verse for the day. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The key phrase that seized my heart here was in Jesus telling them as he begins to prepare to go to the cross, to the tomb, to the resurrection and to the ascension, is that that one thing among others that I'm going to leave you is peace. 
And then he says, my peace, my peace. And so there's where my heart and mind began to move days ago, not knowing if this would be the message for today. And that is, I think that in all of our hearts, at times there is a yearning for a sense of peace. And I begin with just a very simple understanding of peace, but it's so powerful. And that is in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes about the peace that passes all understanding. That's the peace. How that no matter what situation we're in, we may not can understand it, we are confused about it, we don't know what's going on, but there is a peace that passes our understanding. And then that same verse says, and that peace will guard your hearts through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's the kind of peace we're talking about. Instead of going forever on the qualities of peace and things like that, we're talking about a peace that whatever we're in in life, whether we understand it or not, we've got peace. Whatever we're facing, we know that the peace of God is guarding our hearts. And so here is the way we go, and I need to get right to it. And that is when Jesus says, my peace, the way that my heart has been led in this is what was the source of Jesus' peace? What was the source of his peace? And so I go back and I study the scriptures, and I believe that this is the source of Jesus' peace that he now says, I give to you, not as the world gives, I'm giving to you my peace. And where that peace came from from Jesus is where that peace will come from for us. So we go. Number one, that peace that Jesus has left us, his peace begins with a right personal relationship with God. Begins with a right relationship slash a personal relationship. Now, these outlines go into the office sometimes three days ago, and I continue to work with them. And so a very helpful way here, if you keep notes, will be to say slash father and friend. Begins with a right or personal relationship with God, father and friend. The reason I use the word right is we constantly invite people to come to a personal relationship with God, to invite Jesus into your life, to repent of your sins, to accept him as Lord and Savior and as the Son of God. But then I raise the question, after that moment of salvation, what's next? What's next? What's next? Do we have an up-close and personal relationship with Almighty God? There is more to the Christian life than accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if we have truly accepted him, it will begin to lead us to a relationship with God where we are able to relate to him as our heavenly father and as our best friend. And in that kind of relationship, when we have that relationship with God, we are going to experience the peace that Jesus Christ gives us. I'm going to quote or share just snippets of several passages of Scripture that indicate to us how Jesus the Son related to God the Father. The Trinity is an incredible mystery and difficulty to represent. 
But in the scriptures, it is very, very easy because we know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that he constantly was in touch with God the Father, and we know that the Holy Spirit was with him. But beginning at the age of 12, Jesus in the temple with the scholars and his parents missed him for three days. And when they came back and found him, you know what Jesus said at the age of 12 to them. Why, why are you so surprised? Must I not be about what? My father's business. And then it is baptism. There is a beautiful representation of the Trinity. The son comes up out of the water. A dove descends, the Holy Spirit, like the shape of a dove. And then there's the voice of God the Father from heaven saying what? This is my beloved what? Son, in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus taught us to pray, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the translations is in Matthew 6, we begin that prayer by saying, Our Father, our Father in heaven. When Jesus asked the disciples and one of those records is in Matthew chapter 16. Who do men say that I am? And the disciples begin to say, you're John the Baptist, come back to life. You're one of the great prophets, come back to life. Then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And you know what Peter said? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son, the Son of the living God. And in the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, Jesus said to them, I and my Father are one. And in chapter 17, and spend some time in chapter 17, it is a presentation of the prayer of Jesus before his crucifixion. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers to come down through the ages. And six times he refers to Almighty God as Father. Now that's an up close and personal relationship. That's the kind of relationship that will bring the peace of Jesus Christ into our life. And then with great tenderness, as Jesus gave up his life on the cross of Calvary, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I quote often Lloyd John Ogilvie, simply because he's a great illustrator and illustrations are very important to sermons. Lloyd John Ogilvie had a person in his office one day who was full of anxiety, who was full of worry, just could not find that peace. They had invited Christ into their life, but just were not enjoying and living the peace that Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Now you've heard this illustration before, and that is Dr. Ogilvie looked at them, looked at this person and said, you need a new God. Well, that person was offended. And then Lloyd John Ogilvie says, your God is a heavenly policeman waiting to catch you doing something wrong at every turn in your life. Now we have a lot of law enforcement people present here, and I love to use illustrations like this, but every one of us, it happens to us. And that is we're driving down the road and all of a sudden we round a curve, we top a hill or whatever, and boom, there they are. 
Law enforcement. And I'll guarantee you, nine out of ten of us, we have, oops, and we look down. That's the way some people are living in their Christian life, and that's not it. That's not it. You know, I've not been stopped much in my life, praise the Lord. You know, and it's been because my, my mind was not where it ought to be. But another thing that just amazes me, and I just love saying this, the law enforcement people will talk to me later. I believe that at the police academy, there must be a course entitled Humor One-on-One, -on -one, you know? Like, do you know why I stopped you? You know? I had one little old town going up to North Georgia where I was going to see my mother. It was nighttime. Never saw a business, never saw a speeding sign, never saw anything. And then there was a car behind me with its lights on and everything. I just kept on going. Finally, I decided to pull over, and when he came up to the window, he said, why didn't you stop? And I said, because I didn't think you were after me. But Lloyd John Ogilvy says, your God is a heavenly policeman. God is a heavenly father. And he is not looking to catch us doing wrong at every step in life. He is not looking to condemn us. He is the best case scenario of a father. And I'm going to tell you, I had an incredible father. And to think of God as a father like that, and some people didn't and don't, but let me give you another one. In the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus is continuing to prepare his disciples for that eventual separation. And he says to them, he says, you are my friends. No longer do I call you servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have been made known to you. How do we experience the peace that Jesus Christ said, my peace I give you, we must have the same kind of relationship with the Godhead that Jesus did, and that is he is a loving, caring, heavenly Father. He is our friend. I love the song, I am a friend of God. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's, that's the concept. St. Augustine, a fourth century, great voice for the faith, is so well known for our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I saw a bumper sticker one day that said, No God, K-N-O-W. No God, no peace. No, N-O, God, no peace. Does your heart desire peace? Your heart really desire a peace that passes all understanding, that sense of peace that guards your hearts, that sense of peace that is not here today and gone tomorrow. That sense comes after we accept Jesus Christ that we then begin with a right relationship with God and recognize Him as our Heavenly Father and as our That's the gift of peace. But then you'll notice, I don't know if this one got picked up. Now it says, which includes. That's right. 
Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, once we begin to pursue that relationship where He is our friend, where He is a loving, caring, heavenly Father, where that He is for us and not against us, then we begin to move into an experience of the Christian life that secondly, we are given a purpose to pursue. And that is, put a dash here, glorify God. Once we accept Jesus Christ, once we begin moving into that right relationship, that loving relationship, that peaceful relationship with Him, we then begin a life of pursuing, glorifying God. Now to me, and I know, I know you're with me, but I'm just so, this thing has just worked so. We talk about you know, spiritual gifts. We talk about ministry. We talk about what is your place in the life of the church. Some, you know, like, well, I'd really like to work in the church, but I don't know where to work. This is all important. But let me tell you what comes first. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which has sold hundreds of millions of copies. If I could just write one book, I'd be set, you know? I'd be set. Well, here are the five purposes, and this is the order he gives them. Worship. It all begins with worship. Glorifying God, praising his name. The second purpose, he says, is an unselfish fellowship. These, this is the foundation for a life that experiences the peace of God, and that is where we glorify God in the presence of other believers of an unselfish congregation. Amen? Where everybody is for everybody. That's what it is. And then we begin for spiritual maturity. Then we begin to discover our ministry and our mission. And so the gift of peace begins with an up-close and personal relationship with Almighty God, and then it moves to the level of a life that glorifies God. I give you scriptures again. I won't give you every little reference here. The Gospel of John, well, you need it. Verse 12, 27 through 28. Jesus is praying about the hour that is about to come. And this is what he says, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And then in that chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you. John chapter 3, verse 30, as Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist says, He must increase. I must decrease. That's what it's all about. When they asked Jesus what is the greatest of the commandments, Jesus said, this is the first and great. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he said, and your neighbors yourself, and all the commandments hang on these. That Christian life that experiences the real peace that passes all understanding and guards our hearts comes by glorifying God. And in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and other Gospels, Jesus has a section to teach us how not to worry. How not to worry. 
how not to be anxious, how not to be frantic. And you know what the answer is? Seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? Peace. Peace. I got a lot on my mind. Got a lot on my heart. And what led me to this message was I prayed to God, God, give me a, a inner sense of well-being with all that, that I feel that you have called me to do. And I knew that there was this passage where Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And so, the shorter Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man, the chief end of all of us, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Huffman writes in his book, Becoming a Whole Family, about interviewing with a pulpit committee, and the pulpit committee asked him, what are your priorities? And he said to them, these are my priorities, God first, my family second, my work third, and myself last. Somebody is saying, what? Ain't no way. Me last? You know the acronym joy. J, Jesus first. O, others second. Y, yourself last. Too many of us live with that mindset of what about me? What about me? What about me? When to those who really know the peace, that Jesus gives us, it's not about me. I go to that Philippians passage, watching our time here. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Remember now what we're talking about. If we want to experience the peace that Jesus wants to give us, you know, that peace of wherever we are. The Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content wherever I am, whatever I have, whatever's going on. It begins with a personal, up-close, loving, trusting relationship with God that manifests itself in a life that brings glory to God. And the apostle says, chapter 3 of Philippians, beginning with verse 7, what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellency of what? Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is what the apostle says then, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The apostle is saying, I've counted everything lost to the glory of God. So what comes next? When we have that real, up-close, personal, right relationship with God, loving, intimate friend, he then gives us the power to succeed in the holy life 
And that's what he said in the beginning of this passage in John 14. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, put a dash after succeed and say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live that life. And Jesus had that power. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, what we call the Great Commission, Jesus said to those disciples, all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And two evidences of the power of God is the resurrection power. Again, Lloyd John Ogilvy reminds us that we have resurrection power and that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is with us every day. Nothing too big for him. Nothing too big for God. And then we have Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So where are we? We want peace. The kind of peace that Jesus lived with. That's what we're after here. Not as the world gives, but as he gives us. He had that peace because he had an up-close personal relationship with God the Father. He had that peace because his whole life was devoted to glorifying the Father. He had that peace because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him. The power of the Holy Spirit in him. That's that power. That's that power. I tell the story of the family had a nice home up on a gentle hillside, but right in the middle of the hill in the front yard, a huge boulder was sticking out. And all the time they kept saying, we're going to go out there and we're going to, we're going to dig that boulder out. We're going, to, we're going to level out this yard. But they never did. And so one day, a little boy got up. Obviously, it was before school started back. He was bored. He said, I'm going to take care of that rock today. So he got out there and he worked, he toiled, he sweated, he grunted. By the end of the day, he hadn't moved that rock at all. His dad came in, saw what was happening, and he hollered at him and he said, Son, are you using all your power? Little fellow got, I don't believe this. He said, Of course I am. And his dad said, No, you're not. You haven't asked me to help you. Are you using all your power? Not until you've asked God to help you. James Merritt, Touching Lives, he preached this passage this morning. Did he mention my name? No, no, he never mentioned my name in it, you know. But it was so good. It was so good about seeking the power of God. Every once in a while, if you ask somebody, have you prayed about it? I've had people say, you know, I don't know whether we ought to bother God with every little thing. Well, the answer is good. If it's too little to pray about, it's too little to worry about. Amen? It's too little. And so the last, and that is the peace that Jesus gives us. It manifests itself in a real, real, real loving personal relationship with God and a life that it's all about Him. Lived in the power of the Holy Spirit and knowing that one day, 
there is a prize to receive. And you put a dash, the smile of God. In that Philippians passage, the apostle Paul says, in those following verses of 12 through 14, I'm not perfect, I press on, I forget what lies behind, I'm reaching forward to the things that are ahead, and then he says, and I press toward the goal for the prize. There's a prize for this life in Christ Jesus. And in that 2 Timothy chapter four passage, I fought a good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept my faith, and therefore there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And you know what you're gonna do with that crown, don't you? In Revelations chapter four, verse 10, we're gonna cast it at the foot of the throne of Jesus for he is worthy. Jesus, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, went to the cross and listened to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew he went to that cross without uttering a word because he knew that there was joy beyond it. Paul knew there is a prize waiting for me in heaven with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how I love to remember my days as a child in Sunday school and our theme verse in one of the age groups was from the song, Our Best. Wait not for men to applaud, heed not their slight. Winning the smile of God brings its delight. My peace, you crave peace, my peace, my peace, not as the world gives, my peace. Once again, I break the rules of my preaching professors. How do we get that peace? Up close and personal with Jesus. Glorifying Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that there's a great day ahead. Will you give your life to Jesus and then will you begin to develop that relationship with him. That's the purpose of the invitation. And I will be here to hear you, to pray with you. No embarrassment, no public kind of spectacle. How did God speak to your heart? The altar is open for prayer. However, to unite with this church as we stand and sing, will you come?